Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. It is a privilege to have eyesight. There are several people who are not blessed with that privilege or opportunity. And when you run into somebody who is actually blind, you give them an excuse for kicking something over, for stumbling over something, for making a mess. In fact, you, you, you don't even register it fully except that it requires you to step in and do something that is benevolent or kind because they can't see. However, when seeing people act blind, you, you're just agitated in a different way. You ever have somebody roll over the back of your foot and you want to turn around, you'll see me, but you save, so you say, oh, okay. <laughs> but it's frustrating when someone can see but it don't act right, do right. You ever hear, notice those people at the grocery store who did not return their cart? You thought we didn't see you? We did. You're on tape. You see, you could see, but you acted blind. You know, when we come into a room, all of us have different experiences that our eye naturally go to. Some things that are eye candy, but sometimes we come into a room and we have that, that challenge where we can see more what's wrong than what is right. We can see more of what is out of order than in order, what is more detestable than loving. And it seems that our sight is used to judge, to isolate, or to make assumptions that allow us to feel good about ourselves while challenging how you should feel about someone else. Today, I want you to take some mental notes about how you're perceiving the world and interacting with the world. Are you taking advantage of pure sight or are you living life blind? And what does the fruit of your life say? What does the nonverbals of your life say? When we use the mirror of the word in Luke 15 to, to look at ourselves, you could discover exactly whether or not you're using the gift of your eyesight correctly. Let's go to Luke 15. And we'll start off at the first verse. All right, let's read verse 1 and have fun. When you have it, say amen. So you don't have it because it's not on the screen yet and you're not looking down. Go ahead and get it. All right, here we go. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Who is him? Jesus. Verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, 
This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 3, so he told them this parable. Let's go back to verse 1 and take a deeper look at what's going on. Jesus, let's go back to verse 1. Now the tax collectors, most of us don't have tax collectors on our mind right now because it's not tax season and you don't have to go to your tax man. And, 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 and most of the pure saints here have never been in a situation where you actually owe the tax man. But maybe you have had a debt collector or two actually call your home. And when people are collecting debt from you or, 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 or you, you, you owe something, there's a demeanor they have and there is a defensiveness that you have. We don't like the guy who's coming to get stuff. And these particular tax collectors during the day, they were, you know, uh, they weren't the nicest of people. They didn't just take what, what you owed. They would go far and above what you owed. They were giving bribes to the other Roman soldiers. They were under protection. They were living lavish. They were having a, a, a freedom and ease of life. And when you saw them, you thought about what they were robbing you of versus seeing anything good about them. That didn't mean they didn't have good attributes. That didn't mean that they weren't worthy of something. It just meant that when you saw them, a feeling could come up of frustration and anger because when you see them, you see what they're not. You see how frustrated they are, and Jesus is hanging out with these particular people. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says evil communication corrupt, corrupt good morals. There's something about when a good person's hanging with a bad person that kind of puts a little, oh, oh, what's going on there? Jesus not only is hanging out with tax collectors who were, you know, they're, they're so bad they've got a category by themselves. They're not even listed with the sinners. They're the tax collectors and sinners. Like, this is bad enough. Tax collector. I don't know anything about your life, but you're bad. Sinners, typical liars, backbiters, practicing adultery, lust, whatever evil you want to think about. None of us are confused with what a sinner is because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I know it's a category we like to... Just go over because we don't sin anymore. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. I know we don't do it, but, but there's a category of people who are missing God's holy mark. What's extraordinary about the opening of this text is that he is hanging out with them and welcoming them and associating with them. And it's very noticeable. Who do you associate with? When's the last somebody, what is the last time somebody from prison called you? Do you know anybody in jail? Do you know anybody hurting to that degree? Don't feel bad if you don't know anybody that's, that's in that particular predicament, but just who is around you? Do you live an inclusive life? Or do you live an exclusive life? Now, the reason that's important is because when you look at the next verse, it says, not only was Jesus around them, all were drawing near to him. Jesus is not just around the people who need him. They want to be around him, which is strange to me considering that last week's message, these same group of people who are walking with him to Jerusalem, he turns and says, if you want to follow me, you've got to hate your mother, your father, your mother-in-law, your sister, your brother. You've got to choose me as a priority over them. You've got to take up your cross every day. You've got to give up everything to follow me, and yet they're coming around him in an intimate setting. 
What's making people want to be around Jesus when the only thing he's telling them is hard stuff? I think for far too long, our style of communicating the gospel has been so rough that people can hear the message, but they don't feel the love. That our nonverbals are bigger than our verbal articulation. Well, I just want you to be saved. You know, I used to just walk up to people on the college campus, and, and, and I would just walk up to them and say, you know you're not saved. I saw what you was doing last night. How do you need to get saved? And if they walk away, I would just put my hand on their shoulder. Where are you going? That's called rough ministry. <laughs> I knew that there was something about me that was different than Jesus. One day I was on the, on, on the campus of Eastern Michigan University ministering, and I, and I yelled out to some people, hey, hey, come here, I want to talk to you. And they literally ran. They ran. For so long, I thought, what was wrong with me? Jesus is giving some tough messages. He's not letting anyone off the hook, but yet he's still able to be around people who need him. And they want to be around him and yet he's not doing what they do. He's not approving of their bad behavior, but he's fulfilling his call in the midst of them. When you're in the midst of people like this and they're wanting to gather around you, that's what it meant, draw near, it meant to circle up around him. That means that he's personality. What's emanating from him is such attractional love that you never hear his message as in a personal attack, even though he's tearing down the kingdom of the enemy in you. Wow, he's incredible. And not only are they drawn around him, the scripture says they wanted to hear him. I wanna hear what he's got to say. Who wants to hear what you have to say? Are there people beating down your door? Do you get the phone call for the hardest questions? Do you have a variety of broken people that somehow surround your life? Or are you a part of the narrative that says, I would talk to lost people, but I don't know any. I don't see them. They're never around. Where are they? We're in the Bible belt, the buckle. Everyone's saved. There's no one to communicate the love of the Lord to. Now, look at how he works. Now, watch this. Verse 2 shows you how another group works. And the Pharisees, his opponents, his accusers, the religious right, the self-righteous, the dutiful, the works righteousness, those who, who get the letter of the law to the t- Now, their heart might be far from it, but the letter, they, they're doing it. And even when they're not doing it well, they're doing it better than most. Ooh, I'm starting to relate. They've got the right external behaviors, but the wrong heart. Scribes, and and they grumble. Grumbling and murmuring are the same. The people who murmured in the rivers, remember in in, in Moses, they, they were murmuring. No matter how good it was, they were always complaining about Moses, complaining about God. Give them manna, mad they don't have quail. 
give them deliverance and, and, and mad that they, didn't, they don't have it as good as they had when they were slaves. Jesus, look at them. They're grumbling or murmuring, saying under their best breath, Jesus, we invited them to our house, and now he's hanging out with those people. If Jesus hangs out with those people and he was at our house, they're going to think that those people can come to our house, house too, and that's just not true. Jesus is crazy. Jesus. <laughs> we thought he was smart. We invited him because he was a good teacher and everything. But doesn't he know what those people do? They're nasty. It's a difference between holy and unholy, righteous and unrighteous. We're the righteous people. We do our thing. We let the unrighteous do their thing. And we don't even speak the word, according to Jewish tradition, to the unrighteous. We don't want to bother them with that. Jesus. Then they move from murmuring to actually saying it out loud. How do you know? Because one, one verse says they grumbled. The next one said they were saying saying, this man receives sinners. Let me make it real clear, there is a distinct distinction between me and this man. Don't associate us with one another because his association is different than my association. I'm up here on the high side, on the high mountain, on the holy mountain with the Lord, and he's someone that's saying he's with the Lord, but he's down there on the low mountain with the low people doing the low stuff who want to sin. He's just like John the Baptist. John the Baptist came baptizing people and trying to help people, but he had a devil. This man is coming, eating and drinking. He's a drunkard. Jesus' love for people made him willing. His love for people made him willing to be misunderstood. So I have a question for you. He says, this man receives him. Are you more like Jesus? Jesus sees everyone and reaches all. Are you like that? Or are you like the Pharisees who see no one, who see themselves, and they reach no one? So are you more like them or more like him? Now, we all would like to say we're more like him, but in reality, I think it's something we say sometimes, but we don't do. In the story he's about to tell us next is to help us realize that we might be coming shorter of his standard than we believe. Verse 4 says this, what man of you, having 100 sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that he has lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he has come home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I, just so I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 righteous persons who need no Repentance. I love that Jesus is given a story about a shepherd all throughout the Old Testament in the Bible. We know that God is referring to himself as a shepherd. Jesus refers to himself as a shepherd. We know there's distinction between good shepherds and bad shepherds. Bad shepherds don't take care of the sheep. They leave them lost. They don't heal them. They don't search for them. They don't care, care for them. They just take the benefits that the sheep provide, but they don't do any of the work 
for the sheep. They're called bad shepherds. And God really identifies them in Ezekiel and other places of the, of the Bible. But the good shepherd, he's telling them, who has a hundred sheep, if he loses one, will leave the 90 and 9. Now, he's not leaving the 90 and 9 uh, unsafe, unprotected. He probably left them into the care of somebody or, or a safe place because there's no way that you would leave the 90 and 9 to go after the one unless you care for all 100. So he left them in a good place. And, and, and we can assume that it was not the ne- negligence of the shepherd. It's the reason the sheep left. The sheep could have just wandered off or went off on, on, on purpose. But for whatever reason, the sheep was not with the 99. The shepherd cared and needed to do something about it. And he went. Okay, let, let, let's, let's just play a game. How many of you have ever lost your child? They go ahead, put, go on, put your hands, if you're in church, put your hand up. You've lost your child. Okay, put it down. Now, we've all been there. We were at Six Flags over Georgia, and I thought Debbie had Jason's hand. She thought I had Jason's hand. But we looked up after having walked around for a little while, and Jason was gone. Now, the first thing you do as a parent when you realize your child is gone is you have a shock moment like, oh my gosh, where are they? Then you have a sober moment where you look each other in the eye, I said, baby, you go to the front of the park and don't let nobody out until we find Jason. I'm going to search everywhere. And then you start doing the thing that's embarrassing. Jason! Jason! You start tapping people. Jay, have you seen Jason? Yeah, you don't know him? Okay, but let me look at your kid. Let me look at your Okay, good. Jason! Only to find Jason... Standing there watching Froghorn Leghorn show, enjoying every minute, not realizing that he was lost, not realizing that we were searching. But man, we were happy to see him, and he didn't know. He was there. You know, you kind of startle your kid when, when you find him. You start over-hugging them and over-loving them, and then you kind of shake them a little bit, just a little bit where you don't go to jail, but just a little bit. What are you doing? Don't you ever leave, don't you ever leave me. I love you. You ever leave? You know it's the truth. You squoze that arm just a little too hard. You just squoze it just a little bit. But don't do that now. You don't, that's not proper, but you did. You did it when you lost them. We didn't do it to you, son. You're not scarred. Anyway, can you imagine someone telling you that the effort to find Jason is not worth it? That the work to find Je- uh, Jason is not worth it. That the emotion that we spent, that the, the time we spent, the strategy we gave, that it's not worth it. 
What if someone would come say to me something ridiculous, like, I'm sure another family found him. He'll be just fine. It, it, it's okay. But when it's your child, you will go, you will stop at no expense to search for them until you find them. Because no matter if you had a hundred children or ten children, if you just lose one of them, it's too much of a burden. It's too important of a cause. You cannot just leave it to somebody else. And I am not going to stop searching until I find you. Jesus is making a point about how he feels. He'll go after the shepherd. He's making a point that God is searching for you. Sometimes we think we're searching for God, but I don't think that's true. I think God, I know God is searching for us. When you're a sheep, you don't know your way back. When you're a sheep, you're like Jason. You don't even know you're lost. You don't even know the search. You don't even know it's wrong. Somebody's got to be searching for you, and it's God searching for his people. That's why Jesus never gets tired of being around tax collectors. It's who he was searching for. He never gets tired of being around sinners. It's who he was searching for. He never gets tired of being around scribes and Pharisees. It's who he was searching for. He searches for brokenness. And when he finds the broken sheep, when he finds the person, the way he approaches is with such gentleness and such care, he doesn't rush up on them because he can see there's a wolf about to take him. He's petrified with fear. He doesn't know what to do. But as soon as the shepherd comes, everything in your life that was stalking you just automatically moves back. Because the shepherd has that type of presence on them that allows things to just move out of the way without the shepherd saying a whole lot of stuff. And he comes over to the little sheep. Very little is required of the sheep except the willingness to receive the love of the shepherd. The turning from the dismal life, the wayward, the wrong direction to leaning in to the right direction. Can you imagine the shepherd seeing who he loves, lying wounded and broken? I know he had to be wounded because he had to be carried. And I could imagine the shepherd saying, shush, 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 and rubbing that spot with oil. I can imagine the shepherd noticing that there was not the strength to stand, to walk, to follow, to do all of the things that a sheep should ordinarily do and say, if you'll let me, if you'll return to me, if you'll surrender to me, I'll pick you up. I'll carry you all the way. And he puts the sheep on his neck. And I can imagine him looking up at that little sheep and saying, I got you. And you got me. We got each other. I got you and you got me. We got each other. Uh, we got each other. Uh, I got you and you got me. We got each other. Uh, we got each other. Yeah. I said, I got you. And you. He was rejoicing. Don't you know? Did you forget? In your most broken moment, when you were lost, you might have forgotten the invisible hand or the person that God was walking, working through, gently picking you up, putting you on his neck, and rejoicing. You see, 
This is how God is. Seek them so you can rejoice when you reach them. Seek them so you can rejoice when you reach them. Now, now that sounds like more like you're being like him when you're being like the shepherd. Are you more like the shepherd? Are you more like him? Or are you more like them? There's a final parable that's given in verse 8. I love that Jesus moves us to someone who works outside of the home to a woman who works in the home. He said, or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses a coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls all her friends and her neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is more joy with the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I can imagine that the first story, Jesus is using a story of those who need to be searched for or fished for who are outside of the house. And now he's using a parallel of something that's in the house. One takes a great effort for you to go seek at a great distance. But this thing that is lost and is in the house, this thing is assumed to be a lot by a lot of different people. But I like the definition of the, 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 the drag mark. The, this is a day's wage. This coin is worth a day's wage. And usually a married woman would wear these coins around her head. Can you imagine how significant it is to say I'm in the covenant with another human being? What a big deal would be for you to lose your wedding ring? A statement. You would look for it. See, Jesus is describing in the first parable what was done. And now in this one, he's saying how you do it in a house. What did he do? First thing she did to find that was valuable, what did she do? She put what on? Bible students. The lamp. She turned on the light. You need a light. You need a light. You need to see the Word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a guide unto my five. If our gospel be hid, it's here to them. He's trying to blind the mind, but the gospel lights the way. Living sin lights the way. What light are you holding up? You've got to hold up the light. You've got to live through the missional lens of the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The second thing she did was in a dark home where it was probably only one window, you know, it's really... She said, we got to sweep. I've got to clean up in order to light all of the areas to find what I'm looking for. Now, this is a difficult thing for us to think that in order to search properly, I'm going to have to move stuff, junk, and other things out of the way. What's in the way of the gospel in your life? What's in the way of the light in your life? 
What's the impediment to your progress? What's causing it to be dim instead of bright? And will you do the work of sweeping and cleaning? It's kind of difficult to find what you're looking for through clutter, the clutter of your mind, the clutter of your soul, the clutter of your spirit, the clutter of your life, cluttered up with so many things that you're unmotivated to look for it. You're unmotivated to try to find something of great value. You're unmotivated to put something back in order or its proper place because we simply don't want to sweep our house. He's not just asking you to turn the light on. He's trying to tell you to sweep your house. Right now, you're getting a lot of things in your mind that are in the way that you need to begin to sweep out. You even, while we're speaking, need to be saying, Jesus, yeah, even before the preacher gets to it, I'm going to sweep that out. I'm going to clean that up because as I see the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ starting to shine bright in my life for what I'm looking for, my mission, my calling, my focus, I'm seeing I've got some stuff in the way because the light doesn't just reveal what's missing. It reveals what's in the way. And what's in the way is a whole bunch of other stuff that's in the way of the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. And you need to sweep it out of the way. Now, once you've got the light on and once you swept, now the search begins. Can you imagine in a house that dark with corners, you have to imagine in this search, you have to get down in some uncomfortable positions. The Bible says, just humor me as I, because it's just more part that you have to condescend to men of low degree. Can you imagine I'm in a suit? I want to be on the ground. But the assignment requires me to get low. And I've got to keep getting low. And I've got to get so low that I can shine that light in the places where I've swept and I can say, wait, there it is. Because I'm going to stay in an awkward, in a vulnerable position, shining the light until I find what is valuable. And sometimes we get up from the floor far too early. We end the search far too early and we reassess the value because of the work. We say it's not worth that humiliation. It's not worth that effort. It's not worth that. Even though I've got the light on and I got the stuff moved out of the way, I just used up too much energy to start searching for what I was looking for. Are you stuck in that place today? And when she finds it, she does something very peculiar. She gets it and puts it back in place, and then she throws a party. And it was saying to me, logically, that the party might have been as much or more than the value of the coin. Why would you spend that much on something? Because God's love for us, his value for us, far exceeds our real worth. Oh, let that, let that sink in because I can just get off the stage and go somewhere and just crawl up and cry. His love exceeds my worth. Oh, Jesus. That's somebody need to write that song. His love exceeds my worth. Mm, glory to God. That was one of the songs we sang, sang today. He loves us, oh how he loves us, 
Oh, how he loves. See, this is an amazing love. There are people in your house who need this love. There are people in this spiritual house who need your love. And maybe you didn't have the wherewithal to get out like the shepherd, the strength. You don't have your staff yet. Maybe you don't have your nerve yet. Maybe you don't, can't be the wolf yet. Maybe you don't have anointing oil yet. Maybe you're not fully prepared to be the shepherd, but you are prepared to do something in your house. Your children still need you to search for them. If you don't pray for them, who's going to pray for them? Your auntie, your uncle, your drunk cousin Joe. All of these people still need you to do something for them. They're in the house where you search for them. I know that we're in the Bible Belt, but if you open your eyes, if you can look, the fields are white with harvest, even in this room. There's somebody who does not know the love of Jesus Christ. And if you just look for them hard enough, if you just turn on the gospel, lens, if you let that light shine and get the stuff and the junk out of your way and you start searching, you will always find. Well, how do you? He said, I didn't find anybody. Well, don't stop searching because they're always here. He didn't stop searching, so you don't stop searching. So are you more like them or more like him? Them is still mad that he's talking to the unrighteous versus the righteous. Them is still frustrated that the church is filling up with people who stink and people who are broken and people who always need the altar call. This is about the mature who never need it, right? Them looks the part but has the wrong heart. He has the right heart, but doesn't look like, he doesn't look right. Can I do something with you? It, and it, it's not meant to overwhelm you, but it is meant to bring you to a gospel conclusion. May I, may I actually give you the him versus them test? Just make it real plain. The like him test, and you, you just take it. I'll just go, this is, this is how you figure out if you like him. I'm just gonna just read through it, okay? See, if you like him, he can see clearly the needs of people. He values all people. I'm talking about the Pharisees, the scribes, and the sinners, and the tax collectors. He doesn't discriminate ethnic groups, gender, age, he doesn't. He values all. Uh, Three, he's a good steward. He didn't forget his ministry call or his ministry responsibility. He lives the sent life. He lived, the Bible says, he says, he came to seek and save the lost, and he's doing what his mission dictates. Four, he's into saving. Delivering, healing, caring, proclaiming, fishing. He's not just looking for followers who don't fish. Pharisees who want to keep the rules but not do the work of ministry. He's not looking for that. Fishing is what we do. Fishing is who we are. Five, he is a shepherd. 
the good shepherd cares for the sheep, will lay his life down for the sheep. What will you lay down for a sheep, a vulnerable person? There, there is nothing. Jason, there ain't nothing. My, my life versus your life is not even a test. I would much rather you live. What, who, what you want to do? do? Do you know that kind of love? Do you have that type of love for someone? Get in touch with it. The shepherd has that kind of love. He's a friend. He's seeking. He's reaching. He's rejoicing. He's willing to associate or condescend to men of low degree. Let's take the test that determines if we're more like them than him. They are not seeking. They are not reaching. They are not rejoicing. In fact, they're grumbling. They are not willing to associate with men of low degree. They party alone. They're grumblers. They're too righteous to do righteous work. Well, I got to fast. I don't have time. To I'm on my way to church. I'm doing stuff for the Lord. We got to outreach. Doing so many things and missing so many people in the process. They think about themselves all the time and judge others. They have not repented. They have not changed. In a moment like this, this Reach the City series, it is not designed to demoralize you, but it doesn't make you desperate for Jesus. It becomes impossible to live this life without the true reward, pure relationship with him. What was meaningful is being with the shepherd. What's meaningful is the, the, the owner of the coin to be reunited, united with the coin. I'm sure if you took the test and you find that you're more like them versus more like him, you don't like it. I know you don't like it. I don't like it. But it's in this moment that we need help. I want you to stand to your feet. Pastor Dave Ward, would you come up here and, and close out this altar moment? He'll preach. He'll give you a chance to partner with us next week and see actual lost people say, but there's some business that the Lord wants to do with you right now.